0: Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. Well, there's a lot of exciting things going on. And, uh, man, first of all, I just want to thank the band and Leanna for that worship experience. I hope and pray that you are connecting to God. That's what it's all about. And man, what a great time that was just to spend time in His presence. And uh, that last song is a unique song in the context of worship because it's a song that is written really from the perspective of God to us. And and it's really cool to think about how often He thinks about us and how much He loves us. In fact, that song challenges, I dare you to believe how much you're loved. I like that. That's a great, that's a great concept, and so um, very, very cool. And so it's great to have you here. I hope you're having a great Thanksgiving weekend, and here we come to the end of it, and tomorrow we start another regular life of experience in life and all that kind of stuff, but um, I hope that you had a great time with your family. We had a great time with our family. So we had a little miracle uh, a little over a week ago. Two twins were brought into the world by my oldest daughter, and so... There is Rowan and Finn. Rowan and Finn. And uh, uh, right now I couldn't tell you which one's which. But um, uh, Rowan came out at at six pounds eight ounces and little Finn came out at five pounds six ounces. And uh, so little Finn had a little challenge uh, to catch up with his brother. And so he's been in the ICU and he was in the ICU until um, Friday when they came home so we were able to celebrate Thanksgiving on Friday had a great great time and so that was that was a fantastic weekend and we've been busy taking care of all the other grandkids and all that kind of stuff so it's been a lot of fun a lot of energy and uh, I was really tired on Friday evening and so we're just having a good time got the house decorated and all that kind of stuff it's really fun just to celebrate the birth of Christ and, uh, and have that be our focus, as well as our families and all those kinds of great things that go on. So I hope you're having a great Thanksgiving weekend. Um, also, I want to reemphasize what uh, Josh talked about. Christmas Eve is going to be a fantastic night. You don't want to miss that. What we desire and hope for is that you'll make Christmas Eve kind of a family cultural night that you'll join us on Christmas Eve. We will have candle lighting, we will have uh, songs with the kids, story with the kids all kinds of great experiences uh, that you can have to celebrate the birth of Christ with your family here and then go home and hang out and have a great evening uh, I don't know if you give gifts on Christmas Eve night or, or what you do but make uh, journey church a part of your Christmas Eve experience and we guarantee you it will be worth it it will be fun it will be great for everybody and so make that your uh, your kind of your cultural thing and then if you didn't already receive a letter in the mail this week about about um, just what God's been doing in our church. He's been doing so many different things over this past year. And yes, it's been strange and, and crazy, um, but you know what? I'm, I'm, I know this for sure. COVID did not catch God off guard. <laughs> you know, it wasn't. God didn't like up in heaven go, oh no, look what happened. He didn't do that. He said, yes. Let's do something with this. And the first thing he did was give us a flood here in the church. (laughs) We had a pipe break and uh, $250,000 worth of damage later, we were able to remodel our church and do some crazy things and, and all that great stuff. We had the generosity of many of you who gave to our patio and all those kinds of things. And I mean, just thing after thing after thing that God did to help us become who we're becoming as a church. And I'm so excited about that. And I'm grateful to the Lord for everything he's done. And what we're, what the, part of the letter was about the giving and, and giving at the end of the year. I hope what you do, is, as our family does, is we kind of plan it. We put God in our budget for Christmas. And we want to have him be a little bit of the extra that we give and we save up. You know, we save up all year for Christmas and grandkids and all those kinds of things. But we're determined not to leave God out of that. And so we, above our tithes, we, we save and we give extra at the end of the year. I want to encourage all of us to do that. I encourage all of you to do that. And just let God be part of your generosity um, at Christmas time. So um, if you didn't get the letter, you'll probably get it real soon, and I hope that you uh, will consider giving God a blessing at the end of the year and just say, God, thank you so much for everything you've done. As we gift to other people and our family and our grandkids and kids and all those kinds of things, God, I gift to you as well. And so I encourage you to make that a big part of your um, uh, Christmas experience and your year-end giving. And by the way, on December the 26th, which is a Sunday, it's the Sunday after the day after Christmas, we are going to have a virtual service. We will not have service here. And so the day after Christmas, we want you to hang out with your family and, and make it a family church experience at home. Just Turn on the TV, get the computer out, um, whatever you do to to, to watch on on screen, just watch the service on screen and join with us as we celebrate the birth of Christ and the day after Christmas virtually, not physically here, okay? All right? So you can have all that whole weekend to hang out with family and, and, and do church with them at home. It'll be a great experience. All right? Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. That's been the series that we're in. and we, The whole emphasis of the series is simply this. People need to be aware that the enemy, the devil, wants to fool us into being deceived and distracted from moving forward in our faith. That's the goal of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy. He's, he's the father of lies. He wants to cheat us out of all of our faith and our experience with God. And if he can do anything to distract us, he will. He'll do everything he can to get us to look another way. If you're a squirrel person like I am, if you spend, if I spend an, a significant amount of time with you, especially out in the lobby, okay, if I s- spend a, a significant amount of time with you, I'm going to be watching and all of a sudden there's something going on over here. Whoa, whoa. You know, I just, I, I'm, I'm that guy that has a hard time paying attention to one thing. I don't know if I have ADHD, ADD, or um, I don't know. I don't know what I have, but... Um, it's, it's, it's uh, one of those distraction things. And so the big question we're trying to answer is simply this. How do we recognize the deception and distraction of the enemy? How do we keep our eyes on God's mission when the enemy is attempting to deceive and distract us? How do we do that? What, what are the tools that we have? And I think most importantly, it's an awareness. It's an awareness that the enemy would love to do nothing more than to distract you and to deceive you. And and to deceive me, and if we if he can do that, then he's achieving his goal to steal, kill, and destroy, to lie, cheat, and distract us from moving forward in our faith and from doing God's will, from really doing God's will. And so today, I want to, the title of this message is called Beyond Emotion. Beyond Emotion. How many people are emotional people? In the room, I'm an emotional guy. You've seen me cry on the stage. I'll cry again. You get me talking about my grandkids or those kinds of things. And I'm just a, a baby. I'm, I'm starting to cry already just thinking about it. But <clears throat> that's how emotional. I'm so emotional. Um, <clears throat> but emotions are part of life. But here's the big thing. We cannot let emotions be in the driver's seat. Okay? We cannot let emotions be in the driver's seat. I'll make more sense of that in a minute, but an emotion can be understood as a complex experience of consciousness, bodily sensation, and behavior that reflects the personal significance of a thing, event, or state of affairs. Okay, That's a big scientific thing for um, <clears throat> the next statement. Emotions are the after effect of an experience. Emotions are the after effect of an experience. They are the fruit of Experience. In other words, you don't just feel because you want to. You feel because something is creating that feeling. That's an emotion. It's actually the symptom. If people say, man, I I gotta fix my anger problem. You don't have an anger problem, you have something that's causing the anger to come out. What is it? Because anger is the response to an effect something that's going on in your life, something that's created that anger. It's not, anger is the symptom, it's not the cause. And so we have to understand what those emotions are. And <clears throat> we we have all kinds of emotions, and when they are in the driver's seat, it gets crazy. Have you had your emotions in the driver's seat? Where all of a sudden you find yourself doing things and thinking things and saying things and getting angry or getting scared or all those kinds of things. I have I have unfortunate phobias in my life. Um, they're, they're phobias that I wish and I've prayed that God would take, a, take away. I think I've mentioned this before. I have a big fear of pit bulls. And I realize you pr- there's probably pit bull owners in this room that say, oh, my pit bull is the most beautiful pit bull in the world. It would never hurt you, It would never cause you. You know, I've, I've had that said to me and I walk in and the pit bull goes... Because it smells this this fear that I have. I was attacked by six of them. This is what caused this fear. And I was attacked by six of them. One got a hold of my leg, and I thought I was going to die. I had a piece of pipe in my hand, and I'm not sure if I hit the the pit bull or if God said um, enough of that. I know you guys like Mexican food, but you're not going to have your meal today. And I don't know what happened, but this I mean, six of them like surrounded me. I remember in my mind screaming like a girl. And I remember when this pit bull had my leg and it was, you know, pulling on it and all that kind of stuff. And I remember screaming like a girl. And I don't I don't remember thinking, that hurts. I remember, why did you just scream like a girl? <laughs> how embarrassing. I was embarrassed while I'm getting chewed up by this pit bull. And uh it, it was a crazy thing. I don't know how what happened, but uh, I, I was able to get up. This pit bull let go. I was able to get up and I ran. My wife and my newborn daughter were watching this happen. And uh, I said, get in the house. And I outran or the angels got between me and the dogs or something. I don't know what happened, um, but uh, it, was a, it was a crazy, scary thing. Now I have this fear. It's an emotion that is in control. I mean, it jumps right in the driver's seat as soon as I see a pit bull. And it's like, uh, 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 you know, and I'm just scared and I'm nervous. And, and, um, you know, people say, well, have faith. Well, you have faith, you know. Another phobia I have is dentists. I just can't handle that. I don't understand dentists. They turn you upside down and say, relax. And I didn't have a fear of dentists early on in my life because I have all this work done in my, in my mouth and I've and, uh, knocked my front teeth out and, and had a dentist handle that. But then when I had my burnout and I went through an anxiety emotion um, that I went through, had anxiety and depression real bad, I came out of that experience not liking anything that would restrict my breathing or restrict anything in my face. I have uh, severe claustrophobia now. So when I go to the dentist... Um, in fact, I don't go to the I haven't gone to the dentist in a long time, and the last dentist I went to said, "You need to go to another dentist and um, <clears throat> it's really bad when you dentist kicks you out you know um, actually, I went to one dentist and they numbed me and got me to this place where my, you know yeah I talking like that and um, they came at my mouth with the drill and I said, "How long are you going to be in there?" It said about 15 minutes I said, "Nope and I pulled everything off and walked right out the door. <laughs> I don't even remember if I paid or not. That's how bad it is. Emotions, when they're in the driver's seat, it's ugly. It can get bad. And um, today, what we want to do is understand that faith is not about emotion. Emotion can be involved in faith. In fact, I was crying while we were worshiping. Because I was just enjoying the presence of the Lord and realizing how much He loves me and how much He cares for me. Uh, just embracing that idea that God just loves me so much that he chased me down. You know, what a, what a beautiful picture. And if I had, we don't have time to, for me to tell my story, but it's the same story for you. How God has chased you down. And has, and God has pursued you. That's how much he loves us. He sent his only son to die for us. That's pretty amazing. And hopefully that affects our emotions to some degree. But it's not what we live on. There's truth that we need to embrace. There's realities that are are important for us to grasp. And when we uh, feel, it's because of something that's triggering those emotions and triggering those those, uh, feelings that we have. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if they're in the driver's seat, then it gets dangerous. Jesus realized that there were a lot of people who were following him that were emotionally connected, but not Commitment connected. And so he says these things in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. He starts with these, these four uh, pairings of ideas, these four ideas. And he's going to repeat himself. Now, when Jesus repeats himself, he's like exclamation point, exclamation point, you know, um, um, screaming emoji guy. He's, he's going crazy. He's just saying, this is what is so important, and he wants us to hear it. And so he says this thing four times and he says it in different ways, which we all need to hear. And so he says in verse 13, he says, enter through the narrow gate, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So he's saying in this, in this, there's two things. There's a, a, a wide gate and a narrow gate. Now, simply put, the wide gate is the road to hell. And it may sound something like this. Okay, I know, now you're gonna go home and go, guess what they played today in church? (laughs) ACDC, the highway to hell. The the wide gate, the wide opening is the highway to hell. This is what Jesus is saying, is the wide gate is the broad, is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. Now, what, why is the wide gate the, the, the bad gate? Why is that bad? One, because you don't have to offload your baggage to get through it. Have you ever had to try and get through a skinny spot with a whole bunch of things on your back or your side? Or, you know, and you're, and you're doing this thing and you're dragging it over the top of you and trying to take all your baggage through this little narrow gap? We can't do that. But in, with a wide gate, you don't need to do that. You can carry all the baggage you want. You don't need Jesus. You just take everything with you. And that's what many people choose to do. Is I'm, gonna, I'm not going to offload my baggage. I'm not going to get rid of my, the stuff in my life. I'm just going to go down the easier path, the path of least resistance. And when I do that, then I'm going down. And what we don't understand is that when I carry my stuff with me, all my baggage and all the junk that I've I've collected over uh, and the sin and the the, the darkness in my life, it's only going to just continue to grow and continue to burden me down, burden me down. And it's a life of destruction. It's as clear as can be. Jesus is just being clear. That the whole idea behind this is that we, there are many people that want to say, Jesus, I love you. They're emotionally connected, but they're practically not going down the right path. We can know Jesus and never be changed by Jesus. We can be attracted to the idea that there's a savior, but never give up the things that we need to give up to go down the the road that he wants us to go down. And so we have this wide road, and then we have the narrow one. We have the one that is, is a narrow gate. Uh, it, it's, it's something that we have to offload, get rid of, the baggage of our lives. And the only way to do that is to do that with Jesus' help. If you're like, like, like me, I've, I've had plenty of things in my life that I could have connected to and stayed connected to but I want to go down this path that Jesus is leading me in. And if I I can't keep those things and go down this path. And so Jesus is saying, you might be emotionally connected to me, but some of you are saying, 'I, I like you, but I'm not going to give everything to you. And in this case, the narrow gate is where I say, Jesus, I love you, and I'm going to give you everything, and I'm going to walk down and through this gate that will only allow me to go through the gate not my stuff, not my junk. How much are you holding on to right now? How much are we holding on to? Are we on the highway to hell or are we going through the narrow gate? Are we willing to look at that and say, okay, let's evaluate. There's two roads. I have two choices. And which choice am I going to make? Am I go- willing to offload and go down that narrow gate, go through that narrow gate, or am I willing to... Am I going to hold on to everything? And therefore, the only gate I could really go down is the wide one. We have to let go. We have to release. We have to set uh, our stuff down and give it to Jesus and say, Jesus, take me down that narrow path. And that narrow path isn't easy. It isn't simple because it is a little simpler if you want to carry all this stuff with you. The unfortunate thing is it's a deception to believe that we can carry it with us. And survive it. We won't. It's a destructive path. It's only going to cause you pain. It's only going to create more and more burden in your life. And pretty soon, that burden will destroy you and accomplish the enemy's goal, which is to destroy, uh, steal, kill, and destroy. And so are we willing to give it up? Am I choosing? This is the question we need to ask ourselves. Am I choosing the path of least resistance or... Am I willing to get rid of my baggage and go down the narrow path? He goes on to say, he talks about two trees. So we have two roads, now we have two trees. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves or pit bulls. By their fruit you will recognize them, or by their teeth. We have wolves in sheep's clothing, which are the false teachers or the teachers that want to deceive us into believing something untrue about life or untrue about God. And here's the way to identify false prophets. Jesus is rarely glorified, if ever, and they become the object of worship. False prophets are all about themselves. They'll say they're not. They'll say it's all about God, But eventually it becomes all about them. Eventually it becomes all about what what their deception is and all about them. And they have no problem receiving from people for themselves. The way to acknowledge or understand who a true prophet is is to understand that everything will point to Jesus. Everything will glorify God. And God will get all the credit for anything that happens in his name. And so true and false prophets... We have to be careful to keep an eye out for them. But the, the enemy wants to deceive us by telling us good things in their own name and for their own well-being. And so there's a bad tree and a good tree. And if we want to go down the bad tree path, then we have to understand that that is self-serving. That we're going to follow people that are serving themselves, not Jesus. The good tree is always going to represent Jesus and always going to show us who Jesus is, always going to show us his nature, his character. And all they really care about is that you know him. Not that you know the person who's preaching. If I were a person who was all about myself, I would want you to know more about Ricardo than I want you to know about Jesus. But the truth is, and I hope this is true of me, that I don't want to be the focal point of anything. I want Jesus to be the focal point of everything. And when we do that, we can grow a church, we can appeal to people. I I like what uh, Gandhi used to say. He used to say, I like your Jesus, I just don't like your people. (laughs) Let's be a church where people like our Jesus, right? And And they can like us too because we're representing him well. But the focal point needs to be about Christ. And so when we look at trees, we're looking at who, what kind of fruit is coming off of this tree? Is it self serving fruit or is it Jesus fruit? And we have to understand that we need to bear the fruit of Jesus. The question that we need to ask about these two trees and this deception is Am I bearing the same fruit I did before I met Jesus? Are we at all changed? Have we gone from bearing fruit for ourselves to bearing fruit for Jesus? Are we changed? See, the emotional part of this is that change is hard. Change is difficult, and most of us fear it. We like things to be the same. As much as we say we don't or we're okay with change, the only person that really likes change is a wet di- as a, as a wet baby. That's the only person that really likes it. But you and I, and I'm the same way, I do not like a lot of change. I don't like a whole lot of things to shift around and move around and all that kind of stuff, but it happens. In this case, we need Jesus to come in and change us into his image and to become more like him. And so if we're bearing that fruit, there's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And, and, and gentleness, all those things are fruit of the Spirit or fruit of Jesus. And if those things are coming out of, out of you, then you are likely a follower of Christ. If they are not, then you are likely a follower of yourself or something else that won't represent Jesus. Are we changed? Are you different than when you became a Christian, when you, before you became a Christian? Have you been changed from the inside out? Or are you just doing the, the religious thing and you're showing up to church, but you're still the same person? It's time to have a go-to-meeting time with Jesus. It's, it's time to, to face him and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I have not let you change my life. I have not let you uh, change my perspective. I have not changed my thinking. And we need to let that happen. And the only way to do that is to give ourselves completely to Jesus. We need to walk through the narrow gate. Get rid of the baggage. That's the first step of change. And then we need to start bearing fruit that represents Jesus. Then he says it another way. He says there's two kinds of disciples. He says not in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What? Wait, what? I did all kinds of crazy things. And what what Jesus is simply saying is this, there's a way to be religious and do it for your own purposes instead of following God's will and doing it for God's purposes. There's a way to be, have it all about us. And we would say, well, well, Lord, I did it my way. might sound like this. Sing it. All right, you guys know the song. <clears throat> we may not sing it like that, but we may think it like that. We may think that I, I've done it my way, and what the Lord is going to say and this is true. We have, this is why we have to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit in our lives, where we have to listen to that inner voice that says, hey, 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 don't do this for you. Do this for me. I don't need you to do your will. Even in your faith, I don't need you to do your will. I need you to do my will. When Jesus prayed in that, in that Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. Jesus, even in himself as a fleshly man, had a way that flesh would have wanted it, which would be to avoid the cross. But he said, no, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, I want to do it your way. might sound like this. You can turn it up. Come on, backstreet boys. know the song it wasn't sung like that to begin with Backstreet Boys had a different way of singing that song but the parody is that we do it God's way and the reality is is that when we think about which direction we're going to go we first want to go through this narrow gate, we have to offload our stuff, then we have to bear the fruit that represents who Christ is and then we have to determine what Is it that he wants me to do? So we get saved through the narrow gate. We grow and we bear fruit and we start to do what God wants us to do. And we become that person that is walking down the path of God's will. That's the determining factor of Christians. Are we doing what God wants us to do? Are we measured by our our, um, words? No, because words are easy to speak. Actions tell the truth. So what are our actions? Am I doing what I want to do with my faith or am I doing what God wants me to do with my faith? It's really a simple process of of kind of evaluation or self-evaluation. It's understanding that the emotion of self-serving, the desire to serve ourselves or have things our way, has to be put down, and we have to understand that we have to submit, we have to surrender to God's way. God's way. Is that what we're doing? Are you walking through the narrow gate? Are you bearing fruit that represents Jesus? Are you doing God's will? And lastly, this is kind of the judgment statement of this passage of scripture. Remember, Jesus is saying the same thing four different ways, and he says it right here. He says in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, doing, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Here's the emotion of this passage of Scripture. It's the easy way. There's an easy way and a hard way. And the end result is, the the conclusion is, you either go the easy way and have your home destroyed, or you go the hard way and it'll stand up against any kind of persecution, any kind of challenge, anything that you will face in life, if that foundation is on the rock, you will win. I don't know about you, but I love to win. I hate to lose. I remember when we were uh, just brand new parents, and well, we weren't brand new. We were probably four or five years old. Our youngest daughter, Taylor, uh, we were playing the um, sorry and if you know what, sorry, what happens in sorry, you send people back to the beginning, right? And uh, what I found that day, see, I prayed when, when we were having children that we would not have boys because I was afraid I was going to get a boy just like me. I got a girl just like me, which is scarier than a boy just like me. My youngest daughter, Taylor, As competitive as can be. I mean, she just hates to lose, hates to lose. Found this out, five years old, playing sorry, I booted her. I sent her all the way back to the beginning. That board flew up in the air. (laughs) I hate this game. I don't wanna lose. And she ran off and you know, it was a it was a lesson of winning and losing in life and all that kind of stuff. I hate to lose. But one of the things about winning is that you have to prepare to win. You can't just win without a lot of preparation. You can't win without making sure that you have the right stuff to win with. You have to work hard. You have to uh, prepare hard. You have to be ready to face the opposition. And if you're not ready, it's going to knock you over. And these two things, these two pictures of builders are the, the builder on the sand and the builder on the rock. And, and it's a simple illustration, isn't it? That if we just build our house on a foundation of rock, it makes sense that it's going to stand in the storm. But if we build it on the sand, it, it makes sense that when the water comes in and it, it undercuts all that sand out from underneath it, that house is going to fall down. But it's easier to build on the sand. Why? Because we don't have to do so much digging and so much preparation. We don't have to go deep. We can stay shallow and we can still build that house and it'll still look really nice and it'll still look beautiful and it'll still have all the things. But as soon as that storm hits, it crumbles. I don't know about you, but and probably everybody in this room has faced a storm of some sort. Probably everybody in this room has faced some kind of challenge. And and if you look back at that challenge, what happened? Did it crush you? Did it take you out? Did, Did you have to have everybody kind of come and pick up all the pieces and put them back together? Or were you able to stand in that storm? Yeah, we still need the help of others and we still need the support and encouragement. Or did it just come falling down? And I think it's important that we understand that this whole series of, of statements that Jesus made here is telling people, do not let emotion drive the car. It's easy to say, Lord, Lord, you're a wonderful guy. I love you so much. You're an amazing God. You're just, the, the, we, we love you at Christmas time. We think about you. You're that little baby in the manger. You're so cute and all that stuff. But then Jesus says, come follow me. And he says, oh, oh, before you follow me, let me just make it clear. You have to go through the narrow gate. You have to offload everything. Then you can't just offload everything. When you come through that narrow gate, I want you to be like me. I don't want you to be like yourself. I want you to be like me. I want you to bear fruit that represents me and who I am. I don't want it to be about you. So you have to deny your selfish nature and go with the Jesus nature. And then I want you to do things for me. I want you to be involved in your faith. I want you to be involved in the mission that I have for you. And as a result, what that means is you're going to have to sacrifice some of your own personal dreams. And you're going to have to give those up so that you can accomplish and be a part of something bigger than yourself. And then I want you to dig deep so that when we do all those things and when we face opposition, we face persecution, when we face challenges of life, we're going to stand and we're going to last. And that's what God wants in a church. That's what God wants in, in the people of his church. He wants a church that's not shallow, that's not about themselves, that's not going the easy route of the wide gate but that we're about going down that narrow road and representing Jesus and bearing fruit that represents who he is and building our house on a rock and digging deep and doing all the work that it takes to have a good foundation so that when we face the challenges of life, we will stand. Where are you at today? There's two roads. There's the narrow road and there's the wide road. There's two trees. Are you bearing good fruit or bad fruit? There's two disciples. What are you doing with your faith? Are you following God or are you following yourself and your own ideas about your faith? And there's two builders one on the sand and one on the rocks. Which are you today? I believe that what God is teaching us is Journey Church and what God's taking us through this Don't Be Fooled series is that it's easy to think that our emotions, it's okay to let them drive. But it isn't. Because our emotions would go the easy route, the emotions would want to serve ourselves, the emotions would want to take the, the easy path of building on the sand so we don't have to do all that work of digging deep and finding that hard ground. There's so much benefit to going down the road, the the, the narrow path that God wants. There's so much benefit. There's life to be had there. And there's only destruction in the other direction. My passion, my desire for all of us is that we would live in a context of the life that Jesus intends for us to have. It's not about just sacrifice so we don't have fun. I love having fun. It's not about just giving up so that we, uh, you know, God's a big, you know, Uh, Buzzkill He's not that It's about giving our lives To the things that matter And when we do We can have a blast doing it And we can live life as it's intended without all this garbage on our backs and all this stuff in our lives and trying to serve ourselves and all this kind of stuff. No, we put it all on God. God then gives us the gift of loving others and the beauty of seeing life as it's meant to be. And that's what he wants for all of us. And I'm gonna pray right now that God would help us all choose that narrow road. That God would help us bear the fruit of his likeness, that God would give us the joy of doing his will and that God would help us build our homes, our lives on him, the rock of our salvation. God, thank you so much for giving us these four pictures of life, giving us these four pictures of of hope that, Lord, we don't have to go down this wide road and continue to carry this baggage with us. We can offload it. And live life as you intended, free of the burden of all this stuff. Thank you for helping us see the picture of knowing that we can bear fruit that represents you. And we don't have to always worry about our image on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. We don't have to give this false picture that everything is rosy. But we can give the the right picture that you are our Lord and our Savior. And you have released us from that pressure of serving ourselves. Lord, thank you for making clear what your will is. And for those that are here that are praying, God, show me your will. I pray that you reveal your will to them, to us, so that we can know exactly where we're going and exactly what we're to do, so that we can bring you glory and so we can shine your light and help us, God, to build that foundation on rock, Help us to have the disciplines necessary to dig deep into our faith so that when the winds blow and the storms come that we do not crash and that our home and our life and you, most importantly, will shine brightly no matter the circumstance in life. God, I thank you and I praise you that we don't have to put emotions in the driver's seat. We can use values and... What's important to know that, Lord, we can stay on this track no matter what our emotions say. We are going to have days where we're sad or we're angry or those things. But, Lord, they're they're not going to drive us. Your will will drive us. Your purpose will drive us. Your road, your narrow road will drive us. All those things will be in the driver's seat so that we stay on track with you. I pray your blessing on every heart and every mind and every soul right now. God, that you help each of us choose the right road and the right way to follow you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today, and you have yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've been on the wide road. You've been on that highway to hell that ACD sings about. Well, it's time to get off that road and get on the narrow one. And what Jesus wants to do for you right now is help you offload the baggage that would prevent you from going down that narrow road. He wants to tell you that He died on a cross for you so that you could offload all of your sin, the Bible says. Everything can go away. And you can be completely set free from all the mistakes, all the things that you've done. He can set you free right now. And if that's you and you'd like to receive that freedom and the ability to go down that narrow road, all you have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the mistakes I've made in my lifetime. And I pray that you would just take all of that away. And he will. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's all unrighteousness. And you would be absolutely clean. That's, that's the promise that he offers you right now. And the Bible says if we believe that he was raised from the dead, And He is now living in in eternity. That reality becomes a reality for us, that we have eternal life as our hope, and you can be saved. So pray this prayer. If you are ready to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, pray this prayer. Whether you're online or on site, just pray this prayer, Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I recognize that I have been going down that wide path, that easy path. But I today want to go down that narrow path, and I need to offload all my sin to you. Lord, I pray that you forgive me of my sin and set me free from all of that so that I can walk down that path, so that I can bear fruit that represents you, so that I can do your will, and so that I can have a foundation that will not crumble when the storm comes. Lord, I pray that you save me right now, and I accept that salvation in Jesus' name. Amen.